Welcome to On My Own Dime. I'm your host, Jason McCormack. Today I'm talking with John Michael Caldwell. We met as interns at Dubway Studios in New York City. His recent work includes running mixed rigs for film composer John Powell. Powell composed music for Call of the Wild, How to Train Your Dragons, and the original Born Trilogy. This is a three-part episode, and in part one, we're going to have a tech talk session for all the audio nerds out there. We also dive into the competitive world of audio internships in New York City. John, welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself to people who don't know you and uh, tell us a little bit about how you landed where you are right now? Uh, yeah, I can try my best. Um, my name is John Michael Caldwell. I uh, like to consider myself an audio engineer um, working in the film industry, um, doing the best that I can. And currently, I work for a film composer named John Powell at Five Cat Studios. And I'm the engineer there at his studio where I take care of the technical ins and outs of the gear, which includes the mix room and the writing rigs. Um, And I work for another film and TV composer named Joe Trapanese. Um, And he does some Netflix shows and some other movies. And I do a similar thing for him, where I take care of his room um, the, the mix room and I don't have as much to do with the writing rigs in that studio. Are they very different? The writing rigs? Yeah. They are very similar. Um, you know, they're all the new seven one Mac pros. Okay. So it's all, everything's built in all the samples and like Vienna ensemble pro. Um, the only difference is that Joe composes in Pro Tools and John composes in Logic. And John composes and works at 96K and Joe works at 48K. Working at 96K, kind of like on a writing rig, it definitely poses some problems with samples because we found, you know, some plugins just don't really work at 96K. And then there's a lot of samples um, and instrument libraries that end up breaking at 96K. They just kind of drop out. Yeah, some some of them just don't work, period. Yeah, they don't want to do anything. Contact, we've found out, doesn't really operate at 96K, um, especially since a lot of samples aren't even released at 96K. Most of them are like 44.1 or 48K. And then like the contact engine or something inside of the DAW, I don't know exactly what, it, it's doing the upsampling audio wise i've never had to deal with that so that's good to know yeah if you ever want to go to 96k you do get the added benefits of processing at 96k with reverbs and you know other things like that yeah that's always been like so i run my sessions in live at 96k but you don't know what your plugins are doing you know so you may be running at 44.1 by default there and then your sessions. Well, that's true too. Yeah. You, yeah. If you really want to be anal about it, you kind of have to go in to every single plugin and like look at the manual or email, um, email the customer support and ask them about it. I was working as an assistant engineer in upstate New York and I was the pro tools guy there they had a radar system. Um, but they wanted to be able to offer pro tools editing. So 
he got sound replacer to for for like a specific session to help get this drummer the sound he wanted but he wanted okay. all the thresholds set he was very meticulous and uh he not not the drummer the uh the owner of the studio and he wanted like use this sample for this velocity range and then for a medium hit use this sample and then this for a, a rim shot so i set all the thresholds and then i exported and showed it to him and he was like yeah you didn't do it i asked and we got into this like long discussion and i showed him everything i did and he's like it looks like you set it up right like why does it it actually do what you're telling it to do and i ended up on on hold for like eight or ten hours with digidesign trying to explain to them that their sound replacer software doesn't work how it's advertised. It actually <laughs> takes the samples. If you put in thresholds, it blended all of the three samples into one. Oh, wow. Instead of splitting them out, how you program it. But like so few people were using those additional, those like um, nitty gritty features. Uh, I guess they didn't address it as a bug and it just was like such an there was no satisfaction in the at the end of the day either because like he's like, okay like i'll i'll send a report to our bug team and they'll you know maybe they'll get to it this year <laughs> like cool oh so they never fixed it well they may have but it was not in any kind of timeline that i could promise anything to the studio owner you know yeah and we've come across similar things like that like time and time again where you know, we've had similar issues with similar people saying things like, you know, for instance, take something we use today, Vienna Ensemble Pro. Are you familiar with that application? No. It's basically a standalone host. So say you have like a template of, you know, hundreds of software instruments that you want to have at your fingertips at the ready at any time but you don't want to have them in your Ableton or Logic or Pro Tools session because you want to be able to open up a session, you know, pretty quickly and you don't want it to load all of those instruments and those samples every time you open up a project. So they have something like Vienna Ensemble Pro that can just kind of live in the background on your computer and you can, you know, get in like any other app and access it whenever you need to. And so whenever you're going from thing to thing, it's already loaded in the background and it's just kind of like connected through MIDI ports. Oh, so essentially it's like it's on standby always, but you have to route it into yeah. your session. Yeah. So they have two different versions. They have one called the server and it's more internal. The audio is kind of like a software based audio where it's routed from Vienna back to your DAW um, into an aux track and then you handle all of the routing internally like that or you can get a standalone version of um, Vienna Ensemble where all of the outputs are direct from Vienna to wherever you need it to go so if you wanted it to go back into your DAW from the standalone you'd have to get an application like um, Loopback or Soundflower or something like that Okay. Um, and so we use the standalone version for um, several reasons that I won't get into right now. But 
since we use the standalone version, we noticed that the MIDI clock isn't working. And like the whole purpose of the MIDI clock is to sync to tempo. So if you have like a loop or something that needs to be tempo accurate, then it, it's like it's not getting at the tempo data from your DAW. And we noticed that this was broken and we emailed them asking them why it's, you know, why isn't it working? Are we doing something wrong? Is there something we need to do to get this to work? And they basically just said, oh yeah, we see that that's not working on our end as well, but technically you're not supposed to use it in standalone mode. It's meant to be used in server mode. And they just kind of wrote it off. <laughs> we, we can use the server if we want to. And anybody that buys the application gets the server and the standalone. Okay, I see. Um, you know, they just kind of came right out and said, you know, standalone's not our focus and we're not going to worry about it. Oh, we don't support that as heavily as the server. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Interesting. You know, even though it, it's a part of the application and you can go in and select it and tell it to work and it does work to a certain extent until you get past like a threshold of it working and then it just doesn't work at all. Hmm. Yeah, it's frustrating because with software, it's not like, um, you know, if something's broken, if an instrument's not working, like you see it, you know, you know what's wrong. But with software, mm -hmm. it's kind of like you're not sure if it's you or the setup or the routing or the application. And like for me, that's always the last thing I think that something would be wrong with the application. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you'd be surprised at how oftentimes that that's not actually the case and it's just not working because it's not working. Um, but, yeah, I, I try to assume as well that I'm the one doing something wrong. And, you know, a lot of the times I am the one doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I just have to email and, you know, set the get it all straight. Yeah, recently I, I find myself wishing at my other job... Uh, that if so, like in order to fix something quickly, I hope I screwed something up because it's something I could fix it right then. <laughs> oh but yeah, if it's exactly. Something somebody else broke or messed up, then I'm like, I don't know how long it's going to take to fix. Yeah, I'm always um, happier and more willing to you know do things whenever I know that I'm the one doing it. Not because I know I'm going to do it correctly, but it's because, like, you know, I have all the time in the world to get it done the way it needs to be done. You, you know, regardless of, like, deadlines or whatever, it's like, okay, I'm doing this, so I know that it's going to get done. Right. But then whenever, like, all of these other things come into it, um, it, it yeah, it just introduces so many more things that can go wrong. And then it's like, well, now I have to contact support and I have to wait several days. You know, it's always an issue. Yeah. And you're also, so you're, you're helping run those two studios for those composers and you're still writing yourself, right? Um, yeah, I, I like to write some music and kind of like dabble around and play with things. And I like to help people as well do some producing and, um, things like that and you know recording for um 
kind of like personal projects with friends and stuff like that. Yeah, I liked, uh, I'm trying to remember the name, but the title track or the track title was I Exist, That Is All. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I released that under the name Pleasant Shapes. Pleasant Shapes, yeah. Uh, that was really cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, I liked that. That was just kind of like, um, like a throwback to the days I started getting into what I considered more experimental music with bands like Fortet and Tortoise and stuff like that. And so that was like my, uh, I don't know, maybe you can call it like an homage or a tip of the hat to those bands as a, as a young, um, as a young John Michael. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you primarily play drums, right? Yeah, I primarily play drums and I like to pick at everything else. Yeah, that's kind of how, so I guess I'll share that too. Like John and I met uh, as interns at a studio called Dubway in New York City. And um, he showed me the ropes when I first got there. And then really we kind of started, we, I think we were on offgoing shifts and then we ended up on the same team and we recorded a couple things together that you picked up the sticks and put some drum tracks to. And it was just really fun doing that. Uh, we got, I got to do one of my songs with you, uh, which was cool. And we kind of shared tips and tricks. So those are always my favorite memories from like being in the studio with friends is like recording stuff together and sharing like, Oh, when I do drums, I use this and that, and I do it this way. And then usually people, for, for me, I mostly shared like what I do with guitars with people. Um, mm -hmm. but those are always like the most fun times in the studio. And that's essentially like how we got to know each other. And then we parted ways for a long, <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I moved back to Louisiana and I think you were still doing your internship, um, up at Dubway. Yeah. I stayed there for a little while. Uh, they didn't keep me on. Uh, what, yeah, I didn't get kept on either. Yeah, it, it was competitive there. It was very competitive. It was. It's probably one of the more competitive places I've ever been in. Um, but, you know, I guess that's New York for you. Yeah. And even, like, I still talk with Chris Montgomery. And for his case, like, I mean, he just, he, he just gave so much more time than I could, for sure. Yeah, he was all over the place. Yeah, he's one of the people that got picked up there and stayed for years. Um, and now he opened yeah. his own studio in L.A., and is using, uh, he's like partnered with Dubway. So he has the Dubway West location running in LA that he built. Yeah. I've been to that studio, um, and met Chris there one day. It's cool. And, uh, it, yeah, it's a nice little studio. It's got like a control room on one side and then a composer's room on the other side of the live room. Um, so it's kind of like a dual purpose room. And I think last I talked to him, this is probably like a year ago when I last talked to Chris too, whenever, uh, he said that they were, um, putting in an Avid S6 console and they were going to, um, install a, um, one of the, they're going to build out one of the rooms there and put in like a, an Atmos configuration for mixing. I don't know what configuration, maybe it was like a 7.1.2 or a 7.1.4. He was building that when I visited the, uh, it was still in the early stages, but you know, they had the room kind of empty for the most part. 
but the oh, like, yeah. partial installs were happening and it was underway. Mm-hmm. So, and then he's got that nice console, the audience console, I think. And that was featured in like yeah. some, it was featured on the audience website cause he rebuilt it. Yeah. I think I don't, did he like buy it and then have them rebuild it or something like oh, that? I, Is that what happened? I'm not sure. I wish I could tell you the saga of that console. Um, he, he told me about it a little bit, but it is, it's a saga. It's a long story. Yeah, I do know that. Um, I was looking at the patch bay. I don't know if he showed you this, but whenever he had the patch bay built, um, they went from left to right instead of top to bottom. And I think that's the first time I'd ever seen signal flow. Um, oh, no, he didn't show From me that. left to right. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was really weird to look at because I'd never looked at a patch bay like that before. Yeah, interesting. Well, it's his room. He gets to call the shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, he put in so much more time than I, th- I think maybe anybody that worked there because he was like at in the evenings he was running live sound somewhere else and then kind of like. Uh, handing out business cards and, and bringing people into Dubway to record like at the, in the empty slots. So. Yeah. I remember he had some friends that would come in and they'd like do stuff and like maybe some other clients and stuff too. And yeah, he was always like at nighttime going and mixing live sound. And uh, then he got like a big live sound gig with like a couple of people for a while. Yep. I think he did live sound for Carly Pierce. And and maybe someone else. The other person was Rachel Platten. That was a big tour. Oh, Rachel Platten. Yeah. Nice. I mean, he's done yeah. really well. He's the perfect story to illustrate like how competitive it was there and how much more you need to do than just like show up for your intern hours. Yeah. It's more than just showing up to work and, you know, working and doing a good job. It's like, unfortunately, with the entertainment industry, it's like you almost have to be willing to give it like 200%, which is like, you know, that's an impossible number, but, um, you do, you have to spend like way more of your free time doing stuff, whether it's like networking or like, you know, just like spending more time at work and stuff. It's like, it's very demanding, um, to work in the, the music and film and entertainment industry. And people have to think you're cool and like working with you. Yeah. They really have to like working with you. If you don't like working with someone or you think someone's, um, personality is going to be a bit of a drag or maybe an annoyance, or maybe you feel like you're going to have to spend too much time, like helping someone or explaining something to someone, or maybe you think that they're going to spend too much time asking questions, you know, as like, as crappy as that sounds, it's like, you know, depending on the studio and the place you're at, uh, that's all stuff that you all have to take into consideration. Yeah. Which is all intangible. So it's not like someone's going to tell you like, yeah, you scored like an 80% on the cool factor and you need to work on like wearing cooler shoes or so like there's no specific feedback that you get it's just kind of like a you're not what we're looking for uh good luck good luck out there yeah everybody's very dismissive in this industry too i feel like and maybe not everybody but a lot of people are i feel like and it's just 
you know, somebody might email for an internship and you might have an interview with them. And then, you know, someone like may not ever email that person back. Yeah. Maybe after they've like emailed afterwards saying, oh, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for sitting down with me and interviewing with me and, you know, all of this stuff. And then it's like they'll never hear from you again because uh, that's just how some people do things. Yeah. Yep. It makes it tough to like know when you move on to, to another place or another project, like what should you be working on improving or doing differently as you go forward yeah. with your... Nothing's very official. It's not like you get um, a, a review at the end of the year or, you know, every three or half year review or something like that, you know? Right. Um, nobody ever knows if they're like doing well or not. I mean, you can only assume that you're doing well because you're still working there. Yeah. Cause you um, haven't been, and that, <laughs> you haven't been, or you've out. been recommended to do something. Yeah. Right. That's the only gauge you have. All right. Thanks for listening to on my own dime. That's a wrap for part one with John Michael Caldwell. For more about John, his film credits, and the credits of the composers he works with, see the show notes, and of course, come on back for part two soon. Remember to subscribe so you can automatically get the latest episode on your podcast app.